everyone, welcome to Invisible Not Broken. I am really excited about this because I tend to get to hear some of the best musicians on the show. I think that maybe chronic illness is uh, sort of a thing that most of us creatives get together on and I have a new favorite musician to listen to, so I am really happy about this interview. Um, so we're going to talk to Jordan Flotner and he has an amazing project called The Resonance Project. We're going to talk about that. I would also like to talk to you since you are so multifaceted from musician to, am I actually reading this right, that you developed a medical device? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We'll get to that too. Yes, I am mind blown today. Um, so if you could talk to us a little bit about like who you are, what you've been doing and what you have, and we're going to have a trailer for your project. If you go directly over to invisiblenetbroken.com, um, our show notes are going to be full of all Jordan's things. So if you want to be a part of Resonance Project, learn about it big button right at the top that you can just click on. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for the intro. And uh, to start off, I tend to, my mind tends to go in a lot of different places at once and I lose lose my thinking quite quickly and easily. So We're going to have a fun interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I'll work at it. But um, yeah, so I am a composer and writer um, primarily and I... Um, I kind of spent my life moving around all over. Um, most of my life spent um, living in England, um, but I live in Los Angeles now. Um, and I write music for movies and TV shows, um, commercials, and also I write musicals and stories and poetry and all sorts of all sorts of things. Um, and and let's see what else. I also like uh, I like tinkering with things, like building building things. Um, and so that ranges from desks and bookshelves to uh, medical devices and things. So I I kind of I get easily excited about projects and just kind of roll with them. Um, oftentimes I don't have the practical. Uh, I'm, I'm not thinking logically in terms of when I should start on something new that's way over my head, but you know, I, I'll get there eventually. I love that you say that is I feel like that's a, a thing for a lot of us where it's like, I have all these ideas. There's all these things I want to do. And then it's a question of, do I have the energy for it? Do I have the tools for it? Once I get the tools for it, will I have the energy to finish it? Or <laughs> my house yeah. is full of like half done projects. So I completely hear you. <laughs> exactly. And that's the sort of thing, especially in recent years, it seems to be my, I've, as my health had gotten worse, I started getting more ideas, but I was less able to act on them. So I kind of had this list of things that say, oh, once I'm able to do stuff, do that. And then, and then I, I kind of had this growing list of things that I'm, I'm falling behind, not falling behind because there's no reason to do any of them besides I want to do them. Um, but I'll have... I have, um, I'm, I'm also working on a, a series of uh, kind of essay memoirish type things um, about the past four years, um, about kind of the intense health stuff, but how it's led me to, to reflect in certain ways on my, my life, my childhood, um, my future kind of identity and things. And so I've got, I've probably got about, 12 beginnings <laughs> um, and because I was just writing until I, I 
lost the energy. And sometimes that was 10 minutes and sometimes that was, if I was lucky, an hour. Usually not an hour, but usually more <laughs> towards five, 10 minutes. Um, but one day I'll get back to that. Not sure when, can't make any promises, but one day. Well, in this interview, maybe we can help you like just structuring it through like the essay form because we're going to start with, um, this is pretty new for you, which is surprising to me. A lot of us with Eller Stainless, and that's what you have with Chiari malformation. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of us have like symptoms like from super early on and like we're really sick kids, but it sounds like this was a sudden thing. Am I reading that wrong? Yeah, so it was, um, I guess, in two, I'll separate in two, two stages. We had the for phase one of misdiagnosed growing pains. Oh, let's start um, there. That's my favorite place to start. <laughs> yeah, and so that um, that was I really began, I guess, at age twelve, eleven, and so certain things that, in hindsight now, know, oh, that was EDS, but back in the day, it was growing pains. What's a growing pain? I don't really know, but yeah, this was definitely this was definitely a growing pain, and so it ranged from knees and elbows and shoulders and um, exercise-induced asthma. I, I don't, that wasn't a growing pain, but that was just something else that was probably a puberty thing. Who knows, right? Um, and so those none of those things were really real. Um, I mean, they were real in the sense that they were very painful and prevented me from doing things, but there was no real diagnosis or treatment. I had these big hulking knee braces that I used to wear on middle school basketball team. Oh, and that must have been was, easy to deal with in middle school. It was, yeah, it was hilarious. Not hilarious. It was a little funny just because, like, who's this middle schooler with these huge knee braces on? Like, is he an old man? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe, because I also have gray hair. Um, and so at an early age, so I was like, who is this, who is this small child with gray hair and huge knee braces? Um, that's, that's me. <laughs> um, and so that was, that was phase one. Um, but I'm, it, it's interesting going through phase one's a little different from reflecting on it because, um, kind of in middle school and in during, around that time, um, Sports were my kind of my favorite things. I played three seasons, and it was uh, if you had asked me, I probably wouldn't have been um, coherent enough to talk about my identity at that time. But my identity would have been grounded more in sports and being an athlete. Um, and that all that all took a turn when I couldn't really do that. Um, and so I guess beginning of high school. Um, as when my my knees would just start giving out, and so I wasn't able to play um, soccer, basketball. Uh, I played baseball just because there's there's less running um, until I couldn't really throw, and so played first base. Um, and then, um, but that also kind of the time that I spent playing sports, I was now able to uh, devote to music, and I I was kind of at that time where I started taking music more seriously. Um, and started practicing more and participating in other ensembles and orchestras. Um, and so that's, that's kind of when my music I was like, Oh, this is, this is something I, I like and I, I can, I can do this. Um, and so that was, I guess that's the, the summary of phase one. 
Uh, phase so I'm kind of curious, though, because like yeah. for, at, um, I've, I've done this for like I think almost two years now, and it seems like all of us who were sick as kids who actually had like physical limitations when we were growing up, even though we tried to do things, um, once we realized that that wasn't necessarily that possible, a lot of us seemed to turn to creative pursuits. And I find that really interesting. Really? Yeah, and I, it's even just not even oh. people I've, I've interviewed, but just people I've known, like car accidents, anyone who has like a limitation as a kid tends to go really um, interior. And I'm just kind of wondering how that worked for you, like socially, how your friends were, how your family was through like high school and junior high. Did you have support where doctors, is like, I know from my experience, like doctors were telling my parents I was insane and that there's you know, like no way that this was a physical thing. So I was curious if you got the same like feedback from doctors and family. Yeah, so um, number one, family was incredibly supportive and um, always there for me. Um, and in terms of other kind of social, before I get into the into the medical side, um, so my brother is three years three years older than me, and has kind of been a, a superstar at everything in life. And so he was a senior when I was a freshman in high school, and he was kind of the the celebrity of the school and was the best athlete and kind of the star every we'd have the weekly Friday, Friday night basketball games that the whole school would gather around and, and watch and, and cheer him on. And it was great. I mean, I was, I, at that point I was in the pet band, so I was playing, playing loudly, banging on the drums. Um, but it was definitely tough because, and, and we're really close. And so there was never kind of competition between us, but it was more of, other people would say, "Oh, you're you're just kind of the less good version of oh. your brother." Um, in some in some in some words, it was kind of like the yeah, all different iterations iterations of that. Um, and so that was tough uh, in terms of trying to to reassess who I was given these these limitations, which still had. There's still nebulous limitations that I didn't really know what they were, um, but I knew that there was something that was not working quite right. Um, and, but again, family was very supportive. And if um, if my brother had been anyone besides the incredible person he he is, then it would have been much harder. Um, but uh, luckily, he is who he is. Um, and so friends, um, I mean, social, social life changing kind of on the whole at that point anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, so early, early high school, um, and I guess this, this is the first time I'm thinking about it now in this context, but early high school was my aspiring beat poet phase. Um, and when I became an angsty jazz snob and one was reading it on the road and I had howl, Oh my God! You are speaking um, my language. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was a snob. Um, now, um, but and and I was the sort of thing where um, I'd go. I'd be invited to parties, and so I'd go to them. But I would sit in the corner and just be like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be." Here. And then just like silently, just be in my head. Um, which is great, which is always what you want in a, in a 10th grader. Um, and so that was, that was productive. Um, <laughs> but, but then, um, I'm trying to think, 
I think I think at that time it was it was easier to accept medically what was going on um, because I had accepted the fact that I wasn't going to be playing these sports and given that like my knees weren't really that important in playing bass or playing guitar like they were just kind of chilling there um, and so yeah I, w- I would experience pain but it was it didn't in, in my mind there was all sorts of other stuff going on so I didn't really um, devote my energy to thinking about that in, in a in a sort of way of how can we fix this? It was just kind of like, a, oh, that's growing pains. I'll grow out of it. Doesn't really matter now. Suck it up, sort of thing. <laughs> it's just interesting how um, our life choices when we're sick, it doesn't even seem like it's something we necessarily make consciously. It's just like, oh, so this isn't really happening for me over here. And like even as kids, we start like pushing away from things just because our bodies aren't doing it. And then we just sort of like fall in on things that we think we can do. It ends up like... Um, really defining what most of us end up choosing to do for a living or what we study. Yeah. And, and I've also found it fascinating. I've been thinking about this actually in the past few days um, where I have a habit of when I start feeling badly, I will um, do things. I will like refuse to sit down or I will refuse to um, lie down or if, like if I know that if I do, if I lie on my little pinky ball, my exercise ball, I know a hundred times out of a hundred, I will feel better after that. But some part of me still now, when I'm feeling badly, I will not do it because I think part of me is fearful of if I get down, I won't be able to get back up. Mm. Um, and I think, I think a lot of that stems or, or roots is rooted back in kind of the early middle school days um, of, I mean, a, a number of things, but playing sports where um, it was very much in the mentality of if I'm hurt, push through it and fight through it, if something, and just kind of dealing with it and moving on and not, and keeping, keep going forward, 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 and it's kind of this notion of progress, um, been through shit, but we're going to, we're going to still get there. Um, and so I think that's ultimately, it's, I think there've been some positive things come out of that because I'm able to, when I'm anxious and stressed, I, I overwork. (laughs) So I, I end up coming up with things. Um, but on the flip side, it's not quite, I imagine it's slightly detrimental to my health. (laughs) Um, so yeah, so I'm trying to be more aware of that and mindful of that in the present. So how do you do that? Is, I'm totally not asking for advice here. How do you do that? No, no um, that's, that's a great question. Actually, I, I got a new, I'm always, I'm a sucker for little gadgets um, and little things. And so I, I just got a new, um, this is not a, an endorsement, or I mean, it, it's not an official endorsement. I'm not being paid by this company. None of us are getting paid yeah. for this, by the way. No one um, on this podcast gets paid. <laughs> Okay. It is a, a Garmin, what is it? Garmin Vivo, Vivo Smart 4 or something. Um, it's like a, a Fitbit type thing, but usually people wear Fitbits, I think, when they want to exercise and like how many steps, how many miles am I running? I'm not running any miles. Um, but this one thing I saw about this that I like is one, it's regulating um, heart rate 
and but also sleep patterns and um, oxygen levels in your blood and these sorts of things. So and it's and it's kind of aggregating all these to give you um, some sort of numerical representation of your current body battery level. Um, so it's like when a computer, like your battery is 50% full, like you should go to sleep for a little bit. So I have, it has the sort of equivalent where it's like your body, it needs to be recharged. Like take a break, lie down, um, go for a walk. And so it gives you, I mean, I've only had it for a day, so I don't really know. And it's, it's told me to go, <laughs> it's been telling me a lot of things, go for a walk, lie down, take a break. I'm currently at 30% battery life for me. Um, I haven't gotten above 34 yet, so <laughs> we'll see. I'm optimistic. Um, and it, and it, uh, it also monitors all your different phases of sleep um, and different sleep cycles. So it was, I think I got something like it was almost nine hours of sleep, but it was like you had one good hour of sleep. I was like, nice. Good. What, one hour? That was the, well done, sir. <laughs> well done. So for... Um... Oh my goodness, that's that's brain fog that just set in so fast. I had a question and it just like was like, yeah, that's cute. Uh -oh. You thought you were gonna actually ask something. Yeah, gone. Mm, done. Um, oh, uh, for you know, you have Stainless and the cherry. Do you also have pots? Um, so I have. I'm, I'm operating under the assumption that I I likely do have pots. Um, I had a tilt table test when my symptoms first. Oh, so my phase two symptoms, which was a, a spinal leak um, my sophomore year in college. Um, and so... Could you take a and minute that, and just explain, as I don't think if you have not had a spinal fluid leak, you understand what that's like. Can you explain what, what joy yes. that is? Yes. Okay. I'll set the scene. It is a Sunday night. I am, um, I think it's in March or April. Weather's just become beautiful. Great news. Um, and I'm sitting down just in, in a chair, not doing anything, chatting with friends, and suddenly a wave of fog just, just just creeps up and just kind of smothers my brain. And first I was like, what? What just happened? Um, and I thought maybe I was dehydrated or something, so I went and chugged a lot of Gatorade <laughs> and then went to sleep and then woke up um, next morning and couldn't be upright. Um, and it, and it was, it was the most horrible pain I've ever experienced. Um, and if I wanted to be upright, I'd have to literally hold my head up. Um, and I just felt the, um, I'm, I'm one, I'm one for using obscure analogies. And so if it makes sense, roll with it. If it doesn't also roll with it. Um, but I was describing it as kind of a, a my brain was like a, a paper mache construction in which there's the balloon and then there's all the paper mache on the outside around the balloon, but the balloon's expanding and the paper mache is like shrinking. Mm. So everything is fighting the pressure inward and outward, but everything is, is conflicting and feels like it's about to both simultaneously explode and implode. Um, a fascinating, a fascinating feeling. Um, and so I went to um, uh, the, no, actually, no, it was, um, my girlfriend was like, you should go see a doctor. And I was like, that's, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> um, 
And so I wandered over to the, the health services where they recommended I go to mental health. Um, and which, which, yeah, that's, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Crippling, logical, cognitive and neck pain, go see mental health. Um, and so I kind of, I kind of pushed them on that. Um, and I, I was trying to basically say, I need an MRI. Like, please, please get me an MRI. I don't know. And, and you don't know what's happening there, but then they, um, that, that didn't happen. So then I, um, kind of went to see another doctor, um, in, in New York, um, and basically, this is the start of seeing lots of doctors not having answers. But it was, it was one of these early doctor's appointments um, uh, that I had a um, – actually, no, this would have been a few months later, a tilt-table test for POTS, um, which is a, a miserable experience. Um, and But they said the, the diagnosis is if – or if you faint, you have POTS. Um, do you want to explain and, what a tilt table test actually is? There's probably some people out there who are um, allergenless is super uh, underdiagnosed. So it's a lot of people okay. who are sick without doing all this. So imagine um, this is the first thing that popped into my head is like when they're when they were designing Frankenstein or any of those like, lab monsters, and they strap them into a table, and then they kind of um, you can kind of rise up. So you're lying on the table and it's flat, and then it goes up slowly, so Frankenstein is upright but still strapped into the table. And then if like Scooby-Doo and Shaggy kind of get in there and make a mess of everything and they, they click the lever so that the table is automatically going up and down, up and down, up and down, and Frankenstein's freaking out, and that's a tilt table test. Can I just tell you how much I adore talking to you going from like Ginsburg, Howl to um, <laughs> Scooby-Doo? I'm digging this. Um, that's, that's fantastic. A, a quick word on tilt table test. If you have a mental health condition or anxiety or you have claustrophobia, you might get a false positive because it is terrifying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. Control freakness. It will all just completely, Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and also you have, or at least I did at the time, had needles in my arm for, um, I don't even know what that was for. Something. It was for something. Um, Why not? I- <laughs> and, yeah, and this was a, yeah. And so, anyway, I didn't, I didn't pass out. It was, I was very close to fainting, but I didn't faint. So they're like, you're free, no pots. I'm like, oh, great, that's good news. And so I moved on. Um, but... And in hindsight, I've realized that maybe that's not how. Maybe, it's, maybe there is still a chance because um, I kind of have all the symptoms. Because there was also the period where I'd have these these head rushes that would sometimes you know when you get up too fast from um, or for those who don't have pots or similar things when you get up too fast after you're lying on the couch and like whoa head rush and that's it's usually like a split second or a second. So I would have those that would last like 30 seconds. Um, and it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. Cause I'm standing there and just gonna, and people are around me. Are you okay? I'm like, yeah, just one sec. <laughs> wait. Right there. Um, I'm sorry to wait. laugh, but I spent my whole teen years with everyone thinking I was high and on drugs because <laughs> it was like that all the time. And I was like, no, no, I don't actually do drugs. Like, trust me, I don't need to. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, it's a very worse feeling. 
Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's an unpleasant feeling. Um, but also one thing that you had mentioned before, um, when you had, had said like brain fog, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, and that happens very frequently, um, with me as well. Um, but another element of that kind of sometimes within, sometimes it was like I'd lose a train of thought. Then sometimes I would know what I was going to say and go to speak and the words just wouldn't come out. Um, and I had, um, post-surgery that hasn't happened, um, thankfully, but before surgery, it was, it was a, a strange thing. Um, because it was, I knew what I was going to say. I knew what I wanted to say. It's not that I couldn't vocalize. It was just that, like, I could make sounds, but it was just, there was a huge, it was like an internet lag. Like, okay, internet's down again. <laughs> the brain's down again. It's going to be a second before the words come out. Um, but it was, it could be a five, ten seconds before this, a word came out. And I didn't know what was happening. Um, that was a good time. Um, yeah. I'm stealing the internet lag as brain function. That is, that it's going to be a part of my vocabulary from now on. Yeah. It's a good one. It's, a good it's one. like not quite locked in feeling where um, people have the locked in sensation where they can hear and everything's going on, but it's, it feels fairly similar to that sometimes. Yeah. And also like pixelate, everything becomes, if the internet connection is a little bad, everything becomes pixelated. It's like, okay, I see you're a person with a face. I can't see what your face is. Everything's just pixelated. We'll roll with that. Okay, so do you get it where you, like, English first language and someone's speaking English to you and it suddenly feels like you can't associate the words to their meanings anymore? Or is that I, just I, my I, own weird thing? <laughs> you should probably no, speak I've doctor had for. different iterations of that um, where sometimes I'll hear a word and be like, that's not English. That's... <laughs> That's a made-up word, and it's like very much not a made-up word, and it's a very real word that I've. It's a very basic vocabulary, and I'm like that doesn't sound right. Or then I'll be going to say things, and it's like, is this a word? It's often words with double, with double letters. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't think of an example now, but like that sounds funny. Like I don't, I don't know. So you're a person who actually like lives in the world. I'm assuming takes meetings for your your music. How do you how do you set yourself up so that you can do a meeting? Yeah, so this is um, just or for for setting the scene a little. I've um, so I've been in LA two years with an asterisk. Um, so I've just come back to LA after I've been in LA now three weeks after having been gone for a year. Um, so, and where I was, um, back East in Connecticut with my family where I was kind of pre-surgery, surgery and recovery. Um, and at that time I had, um, it was also the sort of thing given that I'm, um, I'm a freelance composer, which is not in its, in itself, um, not the most stable of, of jobs um, and trying to make it as, as a composer, as an artist requires, um, requires a lot of perseverance and a lot of intense work. And because it's the, 
the artistic side of things, but it's also like starting a company um, because you have to form relationships and connections and meet people and things often, leads often might, uh, you think they're going to happen, but then they, they end up fizzling out and just trying to learn this terrain. Um, and then add chronic illness on top of it. And it, it really complicates matters. Um, and so, so the last, last year I was, um, or I guess my first year in LA, um, was when health stuff was, was no bueno. Um, and I was still trying to, um, kind of this is my first year in the real world trying to make it. Um, and there was a, a very much a balancing act. Um, I'm sorry, you guys, you please keep talking. Um, if you are watching this on YouTube, yeah, you'll okay. notice me getting up. But if the panting is not a porno phone call, that is my pug who is not enjoying the heat. So I'm just going to put her outside. I'll, <laughs> if you could keep talking, that'd be great. Um, but yeah. she is uh, extra today. Um, so. And so it's definitely, definitely difficult. Um, given that I have no idea what was going to happen 10 minutes in the next 20 minutes, in the next hour, day, week, how I'd be feeling, if I'd be able to work on a project. Um, and I've never... So how did you handle that with, like, with clients? Like, were you, did, were you upfront about health issues or were you just um, no. burning the candle Very at both ends, trying to light the middle? That's the one. Oh, um, yeah, I'm familiar with so that one. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I was not upfront with anyone, um, when you, in work, work wise, um, in, in my own head, I was trying to separate personal from business, but it's all, who are we kidding? It's all one thing. Um, <laughs> but we do make and, an awfully good, like run at that. <laughs> people are like, you're really good at, I've learned recently, like, you're really good at faking it. I would never have known. I'm like... I know. Thank you. Decades um, of experience doing that. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm horrible as an actor. Would never want to be acting in a movie or anything. But this, I can act. I can uh -huh. I can do this. I had to really tap into my fourth grade Pied Piper acting chops to, to channel that. Um, if you want to post video, I, we can put it up on the show notes. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> I don't. No, I don't even know. Um, so. I remember one, there are a few moments that were just kind of uh, epic in there, like, oh my God, all of this is really happening right now. Um, there was one, there was one day um, last, I guess it was before, when I was in LA before surgery, and again, health-wise was not doing so hot. Um, and was having all sorts of health insurance uh, issues with my health insurance provider because they had misfiled the paperwork. Um, and, and so that had kind of set all my, I kind of delayed my whole getting insurance thing. So I was having to pay for everything out of pocket, um, which is also great. Anyone starting out in, in freelance composing, 
try to spend, try to avoid any insurance, get everything out of pocket, pay for everything out of pocket. It really does wonders to uh, business life. Um, so a quick little note for international audience. If you have not listened to the podcast before and heard me on my soapbox, I will not stand on soapbox today. I'm too tired. Um, but we are in the United States and we do not have socialized medicine here, um, even close. And if you are doing anything on your own, like a composer or I was a photographer, um, we have to pay for our insurance out of pocket, which can, I think I was paying a thousand dollars a month when I was, um, Pay, yeah, that eyebrow raise, and that was through a, a thing. But um, most of us who have full insurance either get it through our parents until we're 26, or we get it through working 40-hour week jobs from a company that is big enough to provide that. So that's just my little like aside for all of our international audience who are like, but why was insurance expensive? So it can be like <laughs> up to $1,000 a month if you're paying out of pocket. And um, yeah, so it was a combination of that and then needing to pay for all of my medications out of pocket um, as well. And so it, there was a day when it all kind of came together where I, um, health-wise, baseline was not doing so great. Um, I was having two days worth of withdrawal symptoms from the medication that I wasn't able to get refilled because I was waiting for the insurance company. I had just gone to a funeral, come back from a funeral for an old friend, um, and right as I got out of the funeral, I had a, a client needing a, um, a commercial within like four hours. Um, and so <laughs> I was like, Oi, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is it. Um, and so that, that's one of the, the moments that, it just kind of all like came together and it was like, okay, this is it. This is life. Um, and then pushed through. But, but since then, I mean, post-surgery, I've been, it's been much easier. I mean, post-surgery, granted, I've been um, recovering for five months or so and have been, it, it, that's been a, a challenge in itself. Um, but now that I'm kind of one step closer to normalcy, at least given my, um, craniocervical situation. Um, I'm, I have more, uh, I'm more trust in my own sustained energy levels and then I'm able to not go a whole day necessarily. Um, but I know that if I go to a meeting, like I'll be fine throughout that if I caffeinate and, um, uh, yeah. And, and so I'm, I'm less concerned about that. And, um, but it was, it was definitely a challenge because when I was pr right before surgery, I was doing work up until the day before surgery, um, and started work, um, maybe a couple months, maybe a month after, um, in just little bits because I, I also wanted to ensure I know that there are all sorts of things that impact my own health and well-being, uh, any sort of stressors, any sort of uh, business or, or financial or career things, which if I could avoid those or if I could kind of improve my chances of avoiding those sorts of stressors would be better for my long-term health. So trying to 
kind of laid the groundwork even when I was recovering and right after surgery and right before surgery so that when I'd go back into normal society, it would be more of a seamless integration um, and that would kind of, I continue to improve my own health. Um, but yeah, it's got to be thinking about lots of things at, at a time and definitely, definitely a challenge. Um, but yeah, my, my, my dad, uh, once when I was younger apologized, um, cause he, he was the one who really got me into writing songs and writing in a notebook and writing down my ideas. And he, he apologized to me once for never being an abusive father. And I was like, <laughs> what? And he's like, I feel like all the best songwriters are always, always have abusive fathers. Um, and so, and they give something to write about and I've never given you that opportunity. I'm like, I think, I think we're okay with that, dad. Uh, but this, you got the disorders. So you've, you've got, <laughs> I got, I got the disorders. So that gives me plenty to write about and plenty to think about. That uh, that is a new way of looking at things. Since uh, there's always that adage that art comes from pain, and um, it's I don't do you think, see if I can actually form a proper sentence. Um, <laughs> do you tend to feel like that's your escape from all of this, the creative process, or is that? Um, it's I would have answered definitely yes at an earlier time. Um, the reason I'm hesitating now is because it's all kind of a big mumble jumble. <laughs> um, and because I know that that's a very articulate way of describing it. Um, because music is now passion, hobby, self-expression, career, business, sustenance, um, it's all linked together. Um, and so I, I, I kind of have difficulty now separating things, um, in my life, uh, in, in that regard. So I think that, so whenever I start talking oh, oh. over, over Jordan, it's because we're having buffering issues on Skype. I swear I'm not being rude. <laughs> um, You're back now though. Uh, so that's good. Okay. Uh, um, in terms, I'll take from the, the reflexive approach that um, whenever I'm anxious, um, it is likely because I am not doing something creative. Mm. Um, and so, I mean, there are, there are other roots of anxieties as well. Um, but when I'm when I have an idea or something, or what when I have something, and even if it's not, uh, hasn't coalesced in my mind as an idea, but it's just kind of the things coming together. And if I don't have a chance or I don't have the energy or the time or the space to work on that or to kind of let that out, it will kind of fester. Um, and so always want to avoid the, avoid the festering. Um, it is a general rule in life. I think avoiding yeah. festering is helpful. Um, but, and so I find that having, um, some sort of catharsis or some sort of writing or whether music, words, painting, photography, et cetera, so having some sort of, um, outlet has helped me, um, immensely. And I think that there is a, also this, this period of time post-surgery has 
in like immediately pre-surgery, I've read more than I've ever read in my life. And it's been, and I think I've grown as a thinker more than I've, I ever have. Um, and, and I've read, I've kind of been pushing myself to learn about different ways of thinking about the world and, and, uh, fiction and nonfiction and medical books and all sorts of stuff in between. Um, but one, um, of the, and, and I started keeping in my notebook, uh, a list of quotes that I, um, that I read and that I enjoyed and would kind of just read through those if I was feeling, uh, down or if I was not feeling as good. Um, and I found that after reading those, I would kind of go back into a mindset of, um, of, of thinking creatively about life and would often feel better. But there was one great passage, um, and I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but I think it was, uh, I'm going to sound kind of pretentious, so I apologize. It was either Nietzsche or Rilke, um, but it was like right from a place of urgency, right where, uh, and in the sense that only, only tell, I'm really butchering it now, um, only tell stories that you need to tell, and where there is, where if you can't tell them, then you can't go on, the sort of thing where every story, everything you should, you do, there should be an urgency, and there should be a, I need to do this, I need to put everything in this in order to go on. I need to tell this story because it is vital to me. Um, and so I've been trying to think about that as I go forward um, in my creative life, in my life in general, um, and in my writing, think about, okay, what is, I mean, there are infinite stories to be told, but there's only one, one I can be working on at a time. So why do I need to tell this story now? What do I need to um, am I okay if I don't say that, tell this story now? And if the answer is yes, then find something else. Um, because as a result of them, it's going to be the most personal, um, passionate and important stories, at least to me. And hopefully the idea is that that would resonate elsewhere. So is that where the residence project came from? Uh, a good, a good transition, actually. Thank you. Um, I, I didn't... I thought you were setting me up for that. <laughs> I, I, it crossed my mind, but then I realized it wasn't actually deliberate. Um, but the Resonance Project actually comes in, in, some, in some form. Um, because the idea is that um, for anyone who, who knows music or physics, physics of music and sound... Um, you can you can skip this section, but just a, a little little overview. Uh, so, if you were to play a, a single note on a piano, um, uh, actually, no, yeah, a single note on a violin. Okay, we're gonna bow uh, a string on a violin. Um, what you're actually hearing is not just a single note, but a a note a funda what's called a fundamental frequency, and then a whole series of pitches that are rising above it. Um, and so the, the order of those pitches and kind of the emphasis and the amount, the volume of each of those pitches um, 
is what determines the the strings character. And so that makes you say, oh, that's a violin or, oh, that's a trumpet. Um, and so you'll, you're always hearing all of these notes, but they're all jam packed together. So you can't actually tell them apart from each other. It just seems like you're playing a single note. Um, and so that's called a, a strings harmonic series. And so what um, the idea here is that if a string, if you have a violin and the violin doesn't have uh, a body, which is which would be quite sad, and you're just bowing the string, um, the violin's going to make a sound that's going to be it's going to be quite quiet because it's just the string vibrating. You won't really be able to hear anything. But when you have the body, when you have that, um, the idea is that the frequencies, the harmonic frequencies in the string will, um, will kind of tap into all of those same matching frequencies that are in the body of the violin and in the air. And so as a result, it will kind of find all of the matching frequencies that are like itself, and then they'll all start making noise. And that's how the whole body vibrates and resonates, and that's what creates the sound from the violin. So in one step back, in, in a simpler way, it's like if you, if you walk into a room of strangers wearing all sorts of different colored shirts, and you're wearing a purple shirt, and it's like walking in and everyone wearing purple shirts is like, oh, it's you, purple shirt dude. And everyone goes together, and suddenly you have this whole big group of purple shirt people um, that you didn't know before you walked in. And so the, the and analogy that I'm making to chronic illness is that um, living the day-to-day -day life with chronic illness has a, a harmonic series of its own in the sense that there is the, the kind of what you see in the calendar. There's the logistical, I go here, I go there, I do this, I do that. But there's all sorts of hidden elements and hidden layers and details and things that you're thinking about and to be aware of um, in your daily life that are often invisible to everyone else. And it's, it's what forms you as a person and it's invisible. Um, and so, but the thing is that in, in the violin analogy, that's just like the lonely, vi the vibrating string. And the idea is to find the body for that so that it can sing out and so that it's no longer hidden. And so the idea is there that once with one person's, uh, harmonic series of, of pain and, um, chronic illness and all of these complexities of life and intricacies, if you can kind of share those and they resonate in another, in another person, like I'm saying, I'm describing these things of my day to day life to you. And for some of these, you said, Oh yeah, I have the same thing. That makes sense. It's the idea is that having all sorts of people that would hear those things and be like, oh, I didn't know someone else felt that way. Oh, oh someone else, oh, that, no way, I didn't know that. I thought that was just me. I thought, so I'm not crazy. And having kind of a whole, uh, having all of that emerge from a mass and um, the idea is that it would resonate kind of the truth of the complexities of life with chronic illness. That's the 
overall, sorry, I rambled. Um, no, little, not at all. I think you should definitely, uh, if you don't want to do anything else, like just going into teaching musical theory is a very good option. There. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and so uh, in logistical, or, or yeah, I guess what, what the project actually is, um, I began about a month prior to surgery um, filming myself with a uh, GoPro. Is this this little camera? Um, and I would take it with me everywhere, um, and I would just kind of narrate my life and have chat with myself into the camera. Um, and this ranged from. I remember um, there was once when I was I was in the car and I was going to a coffee shop and I was talking about how uh, like the there's all sorts of great tension moments of tension and like weird social interactions in a coffee shop with eye contact about who, when you look at someone when they look back at you if you're looking at them to try but they don't but you don't think they're looking back at you but then they look at you there's all sorts of things so I was kind of rambling in a in a Seinfeldian manner um, about that, um, and then also there are times when I'm really slumped out on and lying on the couch and can barely move, and like I feel quite badly. Um, and then um, as we go into surgery, the moments leading up to surgery, I um, have I use it as a little spy cam, so I um, kind of hit it in my bag so that I could be walking around the hospital um, without having a, an obvious camera. Um, and I, I tried to get the surgery itself filmed, um, but my claim was rejected. And I wrote an appeal letter, but that too was rejected. Uh, it was a shame, a shame. But um, anyway, then I filmed, um, I, I gave instructions to my family to I know you won't want to film me while while I'm in this fragile state and while your parents feeling vulnerable and caring for your um, post-surgical child, but please film me. <laughs> and um, so they, they listened. And so I've got lots of footage in the hospital and then kind of the whole road to recovery. And so it's basically five months of, um, five, six months of daily life footage. Um, which I'm now working to uh, edit down into something a little more consumable, let's say. Um, and so the idea is that, uh, oh, and then the latter half of the footage um, as kind of uh, interwoven with the, the recovery process is the, the process step-by-step step of me writing this piece of music, um, Resonance, which is kind of my, my way of, processing and dealing with everything I've been through and the idea of, um, of chronic illness and of genetic anomalies. And, um, so I kind of, it's a whole step-by-step -step process of how I make it. So every time I would go out, um, with my notebook to write, I would be filming, I would be filming my notebook, which I can assure you is lots of hours of garbage. Um, but I mean, I have, I've captured the moments that every new line was written and every note was written. Um, and similarly at the piano, when I'd be sitting there writing out chicken scratch on the staff paper, 
a uh, lot of garbage there, but I mean, I've also captured the whole process of composing the piece of music. So it's my job to edit it now. So it seems less garbage. Like, um, and, um, so the idea is that this was my, um, this was my path, my, my story, my own harmonic series. And by sharing it with the world, hopefully it will resonate with others and um, kind of from that spring more general awareness of, um, of EDS and chronic illness and kind of the, the hidden elements of people who live these, these lives, multifaceted lives. And so the end of the project, the end of the film and uh, will be a performance of uh, this piece, Resonance, and it will be performed by a virtual ensemble. So a virtual choir and orchestra comprised of musicians living around the world with chronic illness and disability. And so I posted the music in all the different parts online um, on my website and have um, kind of included guide tracks. And so I'm asking people, uh, musicians, singers, um, with chronic musicians are singers, singers are musicians, but just players and singers don't want to offend any singers. Um, you are great musicians. Uh, please um, do not send an email to me on this one. <laughs> Go to his website. You can send that over there. <laughs> and so, um, basically record a video of oneself performing, um, the, uh, the parts your individual part in the song and then you'll send it in to me and I'll edit it all together and make kind of an orchestral collage. Um, and that will be the, um, the piece. And when do you need the submissions by? Um, I put on my website, uh, mid September. If you can get them to me at that time, great. I know that's not likely going to happen. So the date is flexible, but okay. But send it, send in when you can. Okay, we'll we'll try to get this this out in in early to mid September. We will do our best to to push this episode forward. <laughs> but there's no there's no no pressure. Whenever you can, whenever you can get it. That is wonderful. Do you have anything else that we did not cover? I will like completely kidnap you and keep you on this episode for as long as possible. We're getting close to an hour and I don't want to take up your whole day. Um, do you have anything that we did not cover or that you wanted to push forward? Um, I guess the one thing um, to add is that I realized that I'm... Um, so it took me four, I guess, until I, from the time I really started looking when symptoms became really serious to diagnosis was about four years or so. Um, and that seemed like a long time. It was four years is a long time, but I had read online that the average EDS diagnosis is something like 18 or 19 years, which is horrifying. Um, and so whenever I feel that four years was a long time, I think about, okay, Matt, think 18 or 19, but also I am, I am living alone. I don't have to support a family. I have people around me who care for me. If I had to support a family and if I didn't have anyone else to be there for me, there wouldn't be time to 
spend uh, doing all of these kind of going on on what might be like a wild goose chase um, in search of something. And so I'm uh, I'm aware of that and um, sending sending strength and good vibes, good perseverance vibes to all those um, going through this or in search of a, a diagnosis. But I I urge urge everyone to be um, as knowledgeable as possible going into doctor's appointments um, and be as you are in control of your body and you need to be in control of the knowledge of your body as well. And obviously a doctor went to medical school, so they've got a little bit of a leg up on you. Um, but it's, it's really helpful to know as much as possible so that you can uh, go back and forth and ask specific questions and be, um, be clear in what you're, what you want and, and your issues and concerns with doctors. Because I've found too often I've been kicked out of the room way too quickly. Even if I think, if I've done my research going in, I know what I want to ask. I'm, I kind of go through all my questions and they're all dismissed and then I'm shoot out. And before I can even realize it, I'm like, wait, that just happened. I prepared for that. Oh man. But it, and so that's, it's inevitably going to happen, but trying to be as knowledgeable as possible will save you great time and pain. I don't know about you, but I have um, pretty much white coat amnesia anxiety disorder. So the second I see that white coat, I like shut down and go into like an absolute panic attack and can't think. So I just want to add one more thing to that is that if you think you have a disorder, um, going on to, and I'm not the biggest fan of Facebook, but if you go onto Facebook, there's always um, groups for those disorders and asking people, what would you ask the doctor or, and getting a list of questions from people who have been diagnosed from that, um, before it can be really a, a lifesaver when you're going in and all of a sudden you're like, I don't even remember my own name. I don't remember what my symptoms are. Never mind. I don't know what I'm doing here. Goodbye. Like it can really help yeah. to just have a notebook where you have like these questions listed. So that's, that's my advice for the day. <laughs> so we are still having buffering on Skype. I love oh, Skype. Sorry. We've got to find a better alternative here. We tried zoom and it didn't go any better. So unless I'm yeah. going to get some major like funds into this podcast, I can fly to meet people. Uh, we're just going to have to deal. <laughs> um, so if you can, go over to Jordan's website. If you go to our show notes, it is a very large button at the very top. Um, I hope Jordan's okay with this, but I did put a link to his music right underneath because that will be my playlist while I'm doing my writing. I'm almost at the end of the book, so it's good to have a new playlist <laughs> for that book. I appreciate having that now. Um, is there anything that we did not cover that you wanted to, to scooch in? I don't think so. I think we... We're thorough? <laughs> we covered sound, so I think happy about that. Well, I hope you come back on when you're ready to release your uh, your project, um, especially if you just want to come yeah. back on. I, we do panels all the time with people where they come back on to talk about a specific issue. If you want to come back on and talk about getting a project together with chronic illness and how you're able to do that. I would love to have you back on. This was a lot of fun for me. I mean, anyone who can, can quote Nietzsche and the beat poets and then go to Scooby-Doo. I had a blast talking with you. That was so much fun. Appreciate it. English literature major. And I have no one to talk to you about any of it. So it's really <laughs> fun. 
Um, so yeah, please head over to our show notes. That's the best place to go is invisiblenetbroken.com. And um, if you want to be nice to us, the best thing to do is still go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us reviews. I do read them. I promise. Even, um, even the other ones that I don't love reading, I still read all of them and I do take all of the advice. Um, I try at least. Um, so thank you for all of that. And I think we'll just end this with uh, the tagline, which is be kind, be gentle, and be a badass. You can do it. Thank you so much for having me. I oh, really appreciate it. Anytime. I hope you come back.